0: Well, good morning again. Man, I've seen since I was up here previously, and now the few more brave folks have come in. <laughs> brave the elements. This is good. I had this question down How's your 2024 going? <laughs> Cold and snowy. I love Iowa weather, right? Because we get through November and December, and we're thinking, you know, we're lulled into this false sense of security, right? It's going to be an easy winter. And then, what do we get? More snow in the last week than we did last year or something like that? There you go, since 1942. But hey, if it's not going so great so far, don't worry, there's only 352 days to go. So there we go, right? (laughs) All right, I'm curious, any survival show watchers out there? If you're watching online, feel free to comment in the chat window if you want to, but uh, in the room, any survival show people out here? Okay, what do you watch? What do you like to watch? Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid, okay, Looky there. Nice, okay, there we go. Anybody else a survival show watcher? Bear Grills. Bear Grills, okay. A Man vs. wild and that which one, that one uh, was the one of the early ones, yeah. I watched Survivor when it was like normal to watch Survivor. Okay, before the, the bandwagon first, people. For the first few seasons. First few, seasons, first few seasons, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I looked this up. They're about to start season 46 of Survivor in February. So I admit I'm not a huge survival show watcher. I'll get into one maybe briefly, but it's really hard. I've never gotten Survivor. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode. I know I'm in the minority there, Um, but I do. I have watched some. But what I what I find interesting about these shows is it's like. Survivor was kind of one, I guess, that to me seems like it started it. You take a whole bunch of people and to me it's really kind of overproduced. But then Bear Grylls comes along and he does his thing and then we find out his thing wasn't actually his thing because you know they found that he would be staying in hotels and stuff instead of sleeping outside. Oh yeah, there was like a scandal, you know. But it's like these shows just kind of have to one-up each other, you know. One is not, it's not good. Until we got to this show most recently that I was introduced to called Alone. Anybody ever watched Alone? Alone. So, Alone is this documentary that uh, ch- looks at the 10 individuals, and they drop them into the middle of nowhere, okay? Like, and they're not together. They can't be together. They're, like, separated out uh, in this crazy area. Uh, with the exception of medical teams that will come in eventually and check on them, they have no contact. Like, even the cameras, they're self-videoing themselves. To replace batteries on cameras, I read there are drop spots that they'll come in at night and drop new batteries and cameras and swap out. It's kind of crazy just to keep them all. They have sat phones, and if they get to place, they can't keep going. They tap out. And uh, the prize for that one, $500,000. Okay. Uh, here's Here's a trailer for one of the episodes. Go ahead and show that. Contact, it's on. Everybody's here because they have the physical skills. I don't think there's anything more real than what we're about to do. You're not the top of the food chain here. Cougar, wolves, but then the big one is grizzlies. If you come up on a grizzly, you're in a world of hurt. No kidding. I feel really weak. Just trying to to morning. I'm out of here I, I love this. If the, you, I I the <laughs> if the isolation doesn't get you. The Grizzlies will. If the isolation doesn't get you, chance for half a million dollars. What's your breaking point? What is your bra- Who's signing up for this? Anybody? Well, it's it's last person standing. Yeah. You you stay alive, but you have to, but you don't know, you never know how many people are remaining. You know, 10 people start, but when people tap out, you don't know. You're so far removed from everybody else that you're isolated. You're truly isolated and alone until one day somebody, the team shows up and says, you won and that's it. And so, I I mean, I couldn't do this for a whole host of reasons, mainly because I would die within about three days. I'm not a survivalist. I can't kill things. I certainly can't gut things and cook things on an open fire, you know. But the other reason I couldn't do this is as much as I love to say I'm an introvert and like to be alone, I do need people. Now, don't let that get out. I have a reputation to protect, okay? (laughs) But I, I do enjoy spending time with you people. And being, like, I, I read that, like, I think the longest time somebody's done alone, 100 days. Think about that. 100 days alone. That's nuts, isn't it? Sounds kind of nice. <laughs> Parents say, sounds kind of nice. Or just five minutes in the bathroom alone would be good for a parent, right? Do you think you could be alone for months and be Okay. I've read stories about people reintegrating after that show, and they've talked about how difficult it is, just the psychological impact that being alone 15 days, 30 days, 90 days can have on you. And that's not surprising, though, is it? Or it shouldn't be. I mean, why would it be surprising? You look back at the beginning of of Genesis where God creates everything and everything he says is good, right? He says, I look at everything, the light, the dark, the world, the plants, the animals. And God says, woohoo, I love it. It's good. It's pleasing until he creates humanity. And the first sign we have that something isn't good is when he says it is not good for man to be what? Alone. And so what does God do? He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And we could get into helper and how that's the same word that's describing the Holy Spirit in other parts of the Bible. It's not somebody subject to him. It's somebody to walk with him, equal to him, to co-rule and co-reign in creation with him. But it's not good to be alone. We need other people. Have you ever stopped to think about what silly things you try to do in your life by yourself that maybe you shouldn't? Yeah, I hear laughs. I, I get that. What are some things that you really can't do alone? What do you think? What are some things you can't do alone? Get your car unstuck from a snowdrift. Get your car unstuck from a snowdrift. There you go. That's right. Can't give a hug alone, can you? I mean, this isn't really a hug, is it? Can't have babies alone. That's true. Right now I can't, tie my shoes alone. can't tie your shoes alone, says someone that is with child. That's right. You can't sing a duet alone can't play football alone can't tango tango because why it takes two to tango that's exactly right you can't play frisbee alone you can't play marco polo alone can't water ski alone gotta have somebody in the boat yeah yeah gotta have somebody in the boat yeah gotta have somebody somebody (laughs) driving that boat garrett (laughs) I want to see Garrett. Garrett's going to try to water ski alone now. He's like, I'm going to go hit the gas in the boat and then jump out the back. Stopping will be a whole different thing. You could. You might not make it. Yeah. I read an article this week about some things that you can do alone, but probably shouldn't. Like move furniture bigger than you are. Anybody guilty of that one? Yep. I see those hands. Um, what's it say? Eat an entire large pizza. We don't have to see hands on that one. That's okay. You you can do this alone. You probably shouldn't hold a wine tasting party. Just saying, uh, go hiking or rock climbing, you know, probably, or drive way out into the wilderness where there's nobody but bears and the guys from deliverance and your cell phone doesn't work. You can do that, but you probably shouldn't. You know, we've talked in the past about how in our culture, there really is an epidemic of loneliness. Do you guys see that around us? Do you guys experience that, this epidemic of loneliness? Which makes no sense, does it? Because when we think about all the ways we can communicate, all the ways that we can stay in touch, you know, we have all these things at our fingertips. I mean, even social media was to, to make us more social. Don't you agree that it's had kind of the opposite effect? It's kind of had a very detrimental effect. In fact, this week in our message community, one of the people, I can't remember who said it, but it was Steve or Steve Ramsey said, social media is a failed experiment. And I agree with that. I agree. It has not only not connected us better, but it's actually made us more disconnected with the only real benefit of satisfying the stalker within you. I mean, amen? Amen. Right? <laughs> Last week, we kicked off this series that we're calling Rooted, where we want to take a look each week and say, where are we grounded in our lives? What are we putting our roots into? To see what are our priorities? What are the voices in our lives that we're giving priority to? And really just to ask the question are we rooted in the right places and if we're not just to maybe kind of challenge ourselves a little bit to say okay how can we get rooted in a different way and today i want to challenge a very american principle and i realize this is not going to be a popular message at all because we have to look and see how really what we are is we're rooted together rooted to one another we should be rooted in community Um, And I I say this is going to go against the American culture because as you begin to expand your horizons and look beyond the Western culture, you begin to see other cultures do this so much better than we do. It's much more natural, much more a part of who they are, their culture, and, and, and we just really struggle with it here. I mean, we think about community, and I'll admit it sounds good. Oh, absolutely, I want community. We even have that as one of our core values as a church. You know that? We have it as our church core value. We say we are better together. And doesn't that sound great on a bumper sticker? But how does this work when we're actually surrounded by a culture that worships rugged individualism? I mean, we don't just elevate it. We worship rugged rugged individualism, because how many times during a week do you hear somebody say, you know what? That's fine. You do you. It's your life. You have your truth, you know, and if you didn't know any better, you'd walk away thinking, you know what? I am the center of this universe. Everybody else should just fall in line, right? I mean, that's kind of what we get. We have this God of narcissism all around us striving for it ourselves, we want to be the center and we worship this narcissism when we see it in other people. Why do we do that? Why do we acknowledge this and and fall down before it as if it's the best thing? You know, in 1996, way back when, before some of you were born, looking at you, Luke, Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village. Anybody remember that? And I swear what's so fascinating about this book is whatever side of the political divide you were on, you had a, 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 an extreme reaction, it seems like. If you were a Democrat, you thought it was the best book ever. If you were a Republican, you thought it was a trap from Satan to enslave us to socialism. It's, you know, just how it was. What's fascinating is Pastor Stephen from a live Church, he's from Liberia, he and I years ago were having a conversation, and he just made the comment, he said, but Brent, Do you not know that that expression was an African expression in so many nations long before it was the title of a book by Hillary Clinton? It does take a village. It takes a village. There's a very Western idea, though, of going it alone. You can do this. Do it by yourself. In the book I referenced last week called Our Unforming by author Cindy Lee, who is an Asian-American, She talks about how in individualistic cultures, the center is self. That even our practices of community are determined by our own needs. And she writes, community for us is optional based on convenience. Yeah, I see those head nods. We know that's true, don't we? When it fits with my schedule, when it's convenient for me, I'll be glad to be a part of a community. But then she then moves to talk about how, in other parts of the world, community is the backbone of their society. Kids don't grow up calling neighbors Mr. and Mrs. You know what they call them? Auntie and Uncle. uncle. They call them grandmothers and grandfathers, whether they're related by blood or not, because there's this communal community aspect. There's a connection there. And that even if somebody is older, it doesn't matter because the connection is even generationally. It's told through the stories. It's told through the rituals because that communal identity is critical. It's so critical to who they are. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, we can't get two people to hardly agree on anything in this culture, in our culture today, in the American culture. We assert our rights so fast it's my right to do this, and by God, I will stand on it, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. And it's easy to make that stand, isn't it, when you're disconnected from everybody else, and you just really don't care. But it isn't always about my rights in our culture either, because as I was thinking about this, I thought sometimes it's because we have a mentality. This would be what I call the Brent Clark mentality, I don't wanna be a bother. I don't wanna bother anybody. So instead of bothering people, I'll just keep it to myself. And so we become, we, we push against community because, you know, years ago, was it 2015, Amy? I got in trouble. I was having a minor health issue. It really wasn't major, it was heart surgery, but it was minor as much as it can be. And I didn't tell anybody. I told very few people. And then some people found out. And they were not happy with me. And it wasn't just because, well, you could have died. I don't think I could have died. It was fine. It wasn't that. But they were like, why didn't you just tell us? And it was that same mentality. I don't want to be a bother. I don't want you to worry about me. Just, it's okay. And I get that. But I know in the assertion of my rights, in the assert, and really to say I don't want to be a bother is just more asserting of my rights, right? I mean, we find that community becomes very, very difficult to root ourselves in. We find ourselves standing in just this rugged individualism as if that's the spiritual virtue we need, when really it's the exact opposite. And if we look in the church, we do see it's worked its way in, this individualism. As I was reading, I discovered, though, it's not recently. Actually, you can trace this all the way back to a couple of hundred years ago to the Great Awakening. In fact, in the 1730s is where you can trace the first, fra- the first time this phrase was used, a personal relationship with God. Like before that, that was not an expression that was used to talk about faith. But in the Great Awakening that was happening around the time of the Enlightenment, this idea of your personal relationship with God became very important. In fact, in his book, Subterranean, Why the Future of the Church is Rootedness, Arthur Dan writes, Dan White. He says that the Great Awakening mirrored the ideas of the Enlightenment, reinforcing the growing individualistic tendencies of an increasingly independent centered people. Look at what he wrote. He says the Great Awakening made Christianity intensely personal to the average pew sitter through the banner message that God wanted to engage each of us individually, quote, inside your heart. God's transcendence was losing audience value, but a personal God exponentially resonated. Think about that. We've been talking a lot about the transcendence of God, wanting to recapture that transcendence. And wow, look at where we lost it. Look at that statement again. God's transcendence was losing audience. What does that mean? It wasn't carrying the weight. It wasn't giving the wow factor. It wasn't enough for God's transcendence to draw people in. So a, they shifted to a personal God. And that just resonated with people. He concludes the section by saying that we have been fashioning God in our individualistic image and then reading that back into the story of the Bible. Wow. That's heavy but I can't deny it, can you? I mean, when I think about what he's saying, those were highlighted multiple times as I'm reading that book because I thought that really resonates with me. In fact, there's a Catholic theologian, Gustavo Gutierrez, who wrote that the privatization of our spirituality is dangerous because it can distort what we think it means to be a follower of Christ. And then I read that and I thought, well, that's true too. We have turned faith into an individual sport. It's about my my heart, asking Jesus into my heart. It's my sin, my walk with Jesus, my quiet time. And as I read this week, we idolize the just God and me arrangement. But with all that, I think, as I said, it resonated with me, does it resonate with you that that doesn't feel right? I see it, I acknowledge it, I go, yep, that's exactly what we're fighting against really culturally. So what do we do with that? I think it begins with acknowledging some things about what being connected and rooted together means. Because really, we need to take a step back and we have to begin with the acknowledgement. Now, this may burst somebody's bubble, but this is let you in on a little secret. The Bible is not about you. It's not about me boy, we try to make it that way, don't we? But it's not. In fact, you realize that the Bible never uses individual or personal talk about God's primary relation to us. When we break it down, what is the Bible about? It's the story of God. First and foremost, the God of story and his relationship with humanity. The pursuit of Humanity, Those created in the image. And yeah, the story unfolds through a man named Abraham. And we have men like Moses and men like David. But don't in the individual stories lose the big picture of what God is trying to do here. Why did God call Abraham? It was never about Abraham. It was never about I want to bless you. The ultimate end of that was I want to bless the world through you. Yeah, I'm choosing you. I'm putting you in a specific place. But my ultimate goal, God's ultimate objective was to say, I want the world to know that I am God. And guess what, Abraham? I'm going to do it through you and your descendants. It was always about the world, not about the betterment of one people, one individual, but that the world would know the one true God. And then the Messiah. The Messiah comes and we want to say, well, the Messiah came to save Brent. Yeah, in a sense, but in the sense that Jesus... Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. There's a collectiveness there. I'm part of the world. But when we take our individualized ideas and force them on the Bible, we make the Bible and God something for us, for our benefit, for our happiness. And man, aren't we great at distorting that any way we want to achieve those ends. But the language of the Bible is communal. Communal. You understand that? The Bible, you know, the New Testament especially. Almost all the time when you read you in the New Testament, it's almost always plural. Almost always. It would be you all or y'all, even though we're, you know, that's where we'd say where I'm from. Even though some of you Yankees are trying to steal it, I'm calling cultural appropriations on that. But the Lord's Prayer, how's the language in that? Singular or Plural our father, forgive us, lead us. And there are so many passages that we could look at. I'm just going to give you a couple. First Corinthians 12, 27. Now you all are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Yeah, there's an each there, but what is each of you doing? You each are a part of a body. If my hand's laying on the floor over there, It's not attached to my body. And we wouldn't look at my hand by itself and go, oh, look at that body. No, we'd say, look at that hand that should be connected to something else. That's how it is for us spiritually. Or 1 Corinthians 3.16, where Paul writes this. He says, don't you all know that you yourselves are God's temple? You all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Just think about that for a moment. Us together, we are God's temple. That is such a powerful image that Paul is using. I mean, when you look back at the Old Testament and you understand that the temple was the place where heaven meets earth, where the presence of God broke into that society, that culture broke into the world, God is now saying when we collectively are together, that is that place where God now intersects earth through us. Is that individual? Yeah, when we're not together, but it mostly means when we're together. We together are the temple of God. It's not just me alone, we together. And then what happens? God's spirit dwells in our midst with all his power, with all his teaching, with all his glory. I can't help but wonder if sometimes if we're not leaning so heavily into this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus that we have completely usurped and emasculated the spirit of God. Could that be why sometimes we don't get to experience the fullness of the glory of God? Because of our personalness in saying, oh, no, no, God, I got this. But not only just the spirit, the the Bible isn't about us individually, but community is also so critical for our spiritual growth. I mean, think about that for a moment. We have replaced community with information. I mean, read the Bible by yourselves, do a study by yourselves, read a book by yourselves. And we assume that if we amass enough information, that that's going to lead us to transformation. Can I tell you something? It won't. It won't. Information's important. That's one of my strength finders input. I love it. I read. I listen to podcasts all the time. But you know what makes it better for me when I'm reading a book? Having somebody else reading the same book and getting together with them and going, did you just read this chapter? It helps me process. And when I read something, I'm like, oh man, what about this? And they go, yeah, I didn't agree with that. And it's a back and forth. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? I mean, somewhere along the way, we thought that knowing things became the standard. And I understand that because for centuries, the, the populace was uneducated. And can you imagine the gift when the Bible was finally presented in the language people could understand? What a gift! But man, the pendulum swung too far. It became all about what I could learn and what I could know. But you think about today, if transformation could genuine, genuinely come about through information, why is the world in the state that it's in? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there is no shortage of information. There's no shortage of good Bible teaching. You don't like what I have to say? There are a million and one podcasts you can find. There are a million and one, you, uh, one billion and one YouTube videos at your disposal. And you can fill notebook after notebook with facts and figures. Who was Jesus? How did he live? What about the covenants, theology, pneumatology, eschatology, all theologies you want? This week as I was writing this sermon, I paused and jumped onto Facebook for a moment, and a guy I follow wrote this. He said, evangelical expository preaching, that's where we go verse by verse through the Bible, says often undermines the myth, or excuse me, underwrites the myth that the isolated self can transform its own self by taking good notes. Wow! And boy, don't we believe that sometime. because, you know... Even more important than knowing good things is what? Applying. Yeah. Knowing how to live them out. And this is where community can help us. Processing together, sharing together, questioning together, doubting together. You know what I'm saying? These are not bad things. Proverbs even says it. Proverbs 27:17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And you ever been in that situation where you've been with somebody, you've been in that group and you've exchanged ideas and you've exchanged spiritual understandings and you walk out of there and you think, wow, I really grew from that. That really helped me. And you may have walked out of there with a completely different thought or understanding than you went in with. Isn't that amazing? But you know, you only have to look to the multiple verses in the Bible that talk about what we're missing if we don't lean into this and we talk about these as the one another passages in the bible what are they love one another devote yourselves to one another honor one another accept one another concern have concern for one another carry one another's burden serve one another have kindness and compassion for one another forgive one another hold one another accountable encourage one another build one another up all, you know, go to BibleGateway.com and put quotes in and type in one another and you'll find every one of those listed in the reference what is community it's support it's friendship it's accountability it is that iron sharpening iron it's helping me to become a better person because as much as I want to sit here and go I am great and I'm an awesome individual I also know my faults I also know where I'm not and sometimes I need people around me to help me. And that's where community comes in. And sometimes I just like to have people rejoice when I'm rejoicing. And sometimes I like to, I need people to cry and hurt when I'm crying and hurting. And you know what? You can't do that from afar. You can't do that from a distance. Too often we aren't close enough to someone else to feel their pain, Or sometimes we don't let people close enough to feel our pain, and that's not community. Presence is required. Close enough to touch. That's why I'm glad we can live stream for people that are watching it today. But as Amy and I were talking, takes us back to the COVID days, doesn't it? This room right here is actually fuller than it was on most COVID days at the end of 2020. I mean, I remember there were days that we preached to the worship team and that was it. (laughs) And Michelle and David, they were here. (laughs) But there's only so much that virtual can do. I mean, just think about the number of avenues that we've seen rolled out from the various social media companies to try to make virtual connections happen. And there are some that do okay, like Discord I'm constantly fascinated with. I think that's one of the more successful ones. But Facebook groups, spaces, all these things, they try to make it happen, but what do they lack? Presence. And you know why presence is so important? Because God is a present God. I mean, we just celebrated Christmas. We just talked about this. God moving, taking on flesh, moving into the neighborhood. God is a local God, and we are called to be local people. If God models it for us, shouldn't we also be present to one another? Just how critical that is. And presence is letting people in to know what's going on. Can I just tell you something? Your life's not perfect, and everybody knows it. No matter what you post on Instagram, We all know it's fake. We all know your house gets dirty. We all know you have a pile of laundry somewhere. We all know your kids have written on the walls at some point. This is just what happens. But isn't it amazing how we let those things be the things that stop us from allowing community to develop? Oh, I can't have somebody over at my house because my house is a wreck. I live with that person. (laughs) Got to clean it up. Got to hide it, put it in the closet, shut the door so they can't see it. You got stuff. I got stuff. All God's children got stuff. Just so you know. Do we agree? So with with knowing that we can allow people to come in, we can allow people to see and experience who we really are. Now, I'm not saying let the whole world in boundaries aren't a bad thing. Sometimes we need discernible boundaries in our lives. But when we find people we trust, people who are wise, people who are loving, people who are spirit-filled followers of Jesus, who are trustworthy, straightforward, and honest, who can listen and won't just tell you what you want to hear, we need to make sure we're letting those people into our lives. But we do have to acknowledge this. Community is difficult. It is a pushback against culture. And you don't have to say amen, but people are annoying. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sometimes people are annoying. And I get that. I mean, not me, you guys. But, but community is critical. Because community is the most shaping influence in your life. It's where we find faith when we have none. It's where we find hope when ours is gone. It's where everything we need can be found in a community centered on Jesus in community. It's where you find love when you have none. It's also where you can shape and form your identity, especially and even through the doubts and questions. We can discover who we are and who God is through these relationships. And we need to see ourselves not as independent individuals, lone individuals on the island by ourselves, but as connected and tied to one another. You take a yarn. I thought about doing this. I didn't do it. But take a ball of yarn, and I'll hold an end, and we just throw it out. And you grab it, and you throw it. And just think about what a tangled mess that would become. That's what we're talking about. Late pastor and author Eugene Peterson said this. He said, there can be no maturity in spiritual life, No obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in it, an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting in which Christ is at work. The setting in which Christ is at work. So understand what I'm saying is a pushback against the cultural norms that we see today. From isolation to together, from me to we, from individualism to community. And that leads me to just my final thought for today, specifically Ashworth Church. I've been considering just over the last few weeks just how much Ashworth has changed in the past four or five years. If you've been here, you've seen it. And I don't sit here and go, oh, you know, it just is. COVID was hard. Politics has been hard. It's taken its toll everywhere. And that's okay. Some of the people that have been here the longest have left and they've left a gap. And they're the ones that used to carry the ministry and the weight. But as I think about the future of Ashworth Church, I have to ask us, are we willing to be the ones to kind of pick up the torch and carry it forward? Are we willing to root ourselves in one another in this community together? See, I feel like we're in a moment where we as a church, the torch has been passed. And maybe not passed so much because of a pandemic, but maybe laid down. (laughs) And the question is, is will we pick it up? Will we be the ones to step in and to lead in these places, to carry the weight of the ministry, to hold the things together when it gets difficult, to make sure that there's something here for the generations that come after us? I think this is a pretty special and unique place. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think so. And it's not just a job to me. It's never been just a job to me. It gets me in trouble sometimes. But this is, you guys are my, you are my family. And I look at where we are, and as I said, I don't wring my hands or bemoan or anything. I just look at it and say, hmm, I think the torch is being passed, and it's time for us to decide, are we gonna be committed here? Are we gonna commit ourselves, not to the church, but to one another, which is the church. Make sense? Now, I realize it's not a, not a popular thing to say. After all, we live in a disposable world. If something no longer works for you, trash it and get something new, and church is certainly not immune from it. We are in the age of transcendency, even in church life, but should we be? Should we be? Or should we, could we commit ourselves to one another and to the work of God through this group of people here in this place. I mean, I think about a time where I was sitting down with somebody and they came in to tell me that they were leaving because one of our ministries, they didn't think it was where it needed to be. And by the time we had the conversation, they'd already made up their minds to walk out. And in my mind, as I'm talking to them, I thought, what if you stayed? What if instead of leaving, what if instead of allowing the difficulty of the future to put you somewhere else, what if you stayed and dug in And like committed to being a part of, you know, whatever God is doing here. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be conflict free. Have you met me? I mean, come on. I get that. Shut up, Amy. (laughs) 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 But I think about even in my marriage, the things that have made our, our commitment to one another deeper. Sometimes it's through the conflict the hashing out of the difficult things, when you've weathered the storm together. Can I get an amen on that? Knowing somebody's not going anywhere in the midst of the storm, knowing they've got your back. Man, that becomes a bond that is unchangeable, isn't it? And what can't we do if we know I've got an army of people that have my back? where we move from being consumers of religious goods and services, but serving arm in arm with the people around us today, serving as a light to a world that finds itself wandering in darkness, becoming a place of hope for those who feel hopeless, a place where the Spirit of God dwells in our midst. I love that idea. I love that thought. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, it says, you know, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Are we willing to root ourselves to one another through the good times and bad, through the uncomfortableness and the conflict I think there's an incredible opportunity if we're willing to do that. Let's pray.